A lot of talented filmmakers have an origin story that goes something like, I borrowed my dad's Hi8 camcorder and filmed my action figures, or dolls, or friends, and made movies for fun. In an interview with Red Bad director Roel René on a podcast called The Well, he tells a similar story, but with him it was with Playmobil toys. Later in that interview, he shares a different experience that betrays something deeply illustrative of his personality, and I think his philosophy about filmmaking. When he was 20 years old, he saw that there was a film production shooting nearby, a big-budget horror film. Being the budding filmmaker that he was, he snuck onto the movie set to take a look around. After seeing the camera department in action and actors in wardrobe and PAs serving first ADs serving directors, his big takeaway wasn't an overwhelming feeling of wonder or awe or fear, I guess, for sneaking onto a closed movie set. No, about that formative moment, he said, quote, Oh, I can do this. This is not that difficult. It was not that complicated, and that feeling I always kept with me. End quote. I think it explains a lot about the film we're reviewing today. You can say a lot of things about Red Bad, and the hosts do. But one thing I think we all agree on, and this description obviously cuts both ways, is that it's confidently made. I mean, Roel René directed it, produced it, and shot it. Just ask him and he'll tell you it's not that difficult. That's an attitude that got him a film resume the length of a drugstore receipt full of straight-to-video sequels and the random Steven Seagal movie. He'd toiled long in the Hollywood B-movie-verse before returning to the Netherlands to make The Admiral on the list. And this film, Red Bad. Slick production on a shoestring budget is what the B-movie economy is all about. And so René was uniquely suited to this task. Whether or not he was successful is another story, one which we'll tell today as we review the 2018 Frisian biopic, Red Bad. Welcome to Friendly Fire, the war movie podcast that every week the hosts wonder, is this necessary? And every week we decide, yes, our customs are sacred. I'm Ben Harrison. Yes, I'm Adam Pranica. Also, yes, I'm John Roderick. I thought it was so interesting, this movie that was like, what if Braveheart wasn't so sure of himself and his place in the world <laughs> not confident braveheart is like a sticker that should be on the box that's great that's exactly that's, right and like if braveheart was eeyore that's redbit this thing was three hours long and he was never a hundred percent sure what he wanted to do or why he was even in that country at the time even when the witch like grabs him by the lapels and is like don't you see <laughs> This is for you to lead, idiot. <laughs> even made even more amazing by the fact that this is all based on a historic record that includes some stones with uh, carvings in them and one church that he maybe went into. Like we don't know anything about Red Bad as a historic figure. 
we know more about William Wallace and yet they have co- constructed this character of this weirdly like uh, like reluctant and guilt-ridden half king yeah. Yeah, but that's because like the winners write the history and the winners of this conflict erased Red Bad from from the books. There are no winners in this conflict. No? <laughs> just a bunch of fucking losers. It's just Germans against Germans. Yeah. It's only the it's only the Frisians up in their weird Frisian islands that that even give a good care about this. There's no like you look at Popo, there's no chance he's going to have a good life. No, Popo ended up dying. Later, but you know, so does everyone. Popo almost took a spear. That was a weird scene. Like, can you dodge a spear from that range? <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, <laughs> she's holding the baby, and a guy from twenty feet away is is like threatening her with a spear, and it felt like it felt like a John Woo gun to the head scene. Popo is actually fairly invincible because another part of the movie, he's being carried on horseback in a basket, and. The, the horse gets stabbed and the basket takes a tumble and Popo's just fine. The horse gets more than stabbed. Yeah. Popo's mom cuts the horse's legs off. It is so rugged. <laughs> she, she swings a, a, a broadsword and like full on cuts the horse's legs above the knee. Yeah. I read the Wikipedia entry about Red Bad. Oh, wow. You, you did a little extra work this week, huh? I did a little extra work and... It actually has a, a little subsection uh, headed relation with the Roman Catholic Church that basically describes the scene where he is like waist deep in baptismal water and finds out that he won't be able to hang out with his dad in heaven if he gets baptized. Uh, during that scene, I felt like that maybe was the most interesting and... Uh, convincing moment in the film the convincing moment describing what the struggle actually was between these people i didn't realize it was also based on the foundational myth of of this whole guy yeah but it felt real that felt real like yeah i'll i'll be baptized so i get to see my father and grandfather in heaven right pretty chill of his wife not to insist he convert before getting married right yeah, she was like one of those relaxed Christians. I think that, you know what that's like, right, Ben? <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a chill wife that did not insist I get I convert. That's what I'm saying. Did yeah. Did you wear a yarmulke at your wedding? I did. Well, so and I signed a ketubah, but it's a secular ketubah. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Is that different than a, a sousaphone? It's smaller, right? <laughs> the secular ketubah. Secular ketubah. When you sit down on the couch, it goes. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks that you have to go three hours to get to the most interesting conflict like it is a sword versus shield conflict for three hours and then you finally get to the idea of like like the core of the resistance is is in red beds comments in that scene and they're yeah. so innocent, too. He's like a child asking his parents if their dead dog is going to be in heaven. Like, he just kind of goes down the list. And there's something pure about that. Like, initially, I thought he was asking these questions at the guy. But if you view that scene thinking that he's being sincere, it's more powerful. Right. What, what was... There were moments in this movie where I wasn't 
sure whether this was some kind of battleship Earth, like Christian <laughs> apologia. Yeah, they have the same haircut as battleship. They, Earth. There are a lot of battleship Earth haircuts, but but also so many white dreadlocks. Maybe the most white dreadlocks that have ever been depicted on screen at once. <laughs> Certainly the most French braids on dudes I'd ever seen. Yeah, but there there were that was pretty sexy. It was well. I don't know. I mean, every every male in this movie looked like he was in a Swedish death metal band. Yeah. So I, I didn't find it that particularly sexy, but then... That's because they exclusively cast men from Swedish death metal bands. <laughs> or a, a Dutch death metal bands, right? But yeah. But there were moments, and, I, and, I, and it occurred to me that Friendly Fire in our wide net of war movies are a little bit susceptible to... to uh, having our hundred sided die pick a film that that it was made by the unification church or something you know right <laughs> and so through the whole movie i'm like okay the dutch accept christianity eventually and become then and then adopt calvinism in large part later and become like extremely pious. Well, and they were always people. going to adopt Calvinism, isn't that part of it? Uh, <laughs> oh, ding, ding, ding! Where's my bell? I, I sort of wonder if that's like what why this works for them, though. I don't know if it does work for them or not. I'm just uh, speculating here, but like, if Christianity is inevitable, then a story about something pre-Christian, like it, it, it is not making the case for. Red Bad's like uh, pagan religion or Christianity. It's not really like riding for either of those. And that that's what made it weird. Like Red Bad from the opening scene was like, I do not believe in human sacrifice. I do not believe in our old ways. And yeah. and it's and so you're just sitting there like, well, the other option is Christianity. And so what is this conflict really? I mean, Red Bad seemed like he was riding for i don't know christianity he's like i'm more spiritual than religious <laughs> he never had to make that choice as long as he was in his uh in his home village because he was allowed to roam freely and do what he wanted to do like until he was pushed to make that choice between the two right it wasn't an issue they just kept harping on that that like libertarianism as a key element of of pagan society do what you want, brah. We've always just done what we want. Yeah, we're free people. Free people. And getting freaky, it seemed like. like the everyone... guy at the end's like, why did you slice the legs off of my horse? And Freya's <laughs> like, I do what I want. I do what I want. <laughs> it's the line of the film. You know, they made a pretty convincing case to burn two virgins every once in a while. Redbed really has a type, huh? <laughs> found it hard to tell his <laughs> wife apart from the other lady that he also was in love with. Yeah. And his sister had, had like, looked familiar, too. All of the yeah. relationships between all of the main characters, did you find them outside of their their similar look a little confusing? Like, who was in what role and who had what relationship to whom? There was the bad uncle. Yeah. And the bad uncle ended up being a collaborator although it was never clear he was he was collaborating but he didn't have any power over his son yeah and uh other than the bad uncle and the and the christians or the you know the franks uh 
the relations between everyone else, all the Frisians and their Danish friends, they just all seemed about like they were just high five and North Northern Europeans. I will say until red bad cut Focard's head off. I could not tell the difference between Focard and Martel. Who for the entire film. <laughs> Which one was Focard? They were both the dark haired lieutenants of King Pepin. Oh sure. No, they looked and they looked just like King yeah. Pepin. Yeah. Or Pe- Pepin's kid. Yeah. Martel, right, right, right. Yeah, like I'm not sure which one threw the little kid off the wall. I d I don't know if it was Martel. That or was Focard. Martel. That was okay. Martel. Yeah. That was what made him king. Yeah. Yeah, he grabbed that ring. That's all it took. Do you know that And everyone just watched him do it. Like that's that's such a through line for the entire film. Like, what are you willing to just watch happen, even though you object to it happening in front of you? That scene in the bedroom is maybe one of the purest examples of this. Like, everyone knows how fucked up it is. Like, King Pepin fingered the little kid and was like, you're, you're who I'm giving the crown to. Everyone in the room sees it. And then uh, Martel just goes and grabs the ring. And that's it. Shame what happened to that little kid. Too bad that guy pointed at him yeah yeah right that one did he mean he's the new king or throw him off a wall uh i guess that's <laughs> up to interpretation yeah right? yeah i got something stuck in my ear and i i might have misheard him anyways <laughs> i mean that continues to be the the in general kind of the dutch way well we're not really <laughs> throwing into kids off of walls well that and and uh like you know they're not that into prostitution but but you know they don't get in its way they're not that into drugs, but like, you know, you do what you want. You do what you want. You do what you want. I mean, that dr- the drug legalization policy in the Netherlands was not really based on how much the Dutch like to do drugs. The Dutch aren't really that into doing drugs. In fact, they are kind of snobs about it. Like, oh, you do drugs? Okay, well, there's a part of town for you. <laughs> um, but they let but and they also, let it happen. We don't smoke your dirty weed. We're smoking hash here. <laughs> Most of the regular Dutch are like, yeah, here's who smokes hash. Stoners. <laughs> Meanwhile, we are like making Delft pottery and sailing the world, right? <laughs> I one time uh I had like a long layover in Amsterdam and I'd never actually seen the city and I, you know, left the airport and like went and Walked around and checked checked out the sites, and when I went back to the airport, and the guy I was like going back through. Skipple's kind of a hike from Amsterdam too, by the way, isn't it? Like that must yeah, have been a long ass really layover. Long, it was like an eight hour layover. Was this a long time ago? Because Skipple's not exactly like in and out privileges either. Two thousand twelve, I want to say. Oh, so not super long ago. But uh, yeah, I was going back through passport control, and the and the cop or whatever was like, "Did you go out for a smoke?" And I was like, ha yep. And then like, I, I, I just was like so dipped in like anti-drug American whatever that I didn't realize what kind of smoke he was talking about until later. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, in his mind, I left the airport to go get super baked and come back. That probably comes up a lot there. Yeah. I, yeah. That I don't pick up what people are putting down. <laughs> no, not that. Just like. Oh, I'm in Amsterdam for eight hours. I'm gonna go like get laid, get get stoned, yeah, get laid again, get stoned again. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a great layover, Ben. Mm-hmm. This movie is not well made. The special effects like hurt my eyes. 
It's a uh, just a, a heaping pile of different bad Instagram filters. So much slow-mo, like unnecessary slow-mo. It's a war on the 180-degree line. It, as much a war film about cutting across the line as anything else. I'm going to take the other side of this just for sport. <laughs> <laughs> you just want you just want to rack up some Facebook comments about how nice you are. I think it's qual- <laughs> I think it's quality cuts against it in a different way, which it it feels like demo reel the movie in that every possible technique is used in the film to tell its story and yeah. the more techniques that get used the further and further away we get from the story which should be the most important thing if we're trying to tell the story of someone who's been erased from history like i would prefer to know him a little better but i but by the end of the film i don't really and that's too bad can like, you can you break down some of the techniques what were some of the various techniques i mean ben used uh, instagram the movie like pejoratively but, like, I think there are a number of compositions and scenes in the film that are beautiful. But the problem is when every shot is a beautiful establishing shot, there's no engine for tension. Like, we go from beautiful scene to beautiful scene to rain to rain to rain. It's never not raining in this, in this film. I never knew when something important was happening because it was always a smoke-filled church beautifully backlit. It's always a beach scene where somehow horses are drowned when the tide comes oh, in. Oh, that was genius. Like, if you muted the film and just watched the scene in isolation, I think I think most of the scenes of this film are really beautifully composed and well done. And I think that's unfortunate because it just cuts away from what this film should be. It's It's like... It's too rich. You've, you've touched on something that I need, I need to address because I've got a, a pedantic complaint about this film from the internet. Dorstad is in the center of the Netherlands, but the movie makes it look like it's near the sea. Battle of Dorstad is won by diverting Frankish cavalry to the sea and having them drown in the upcoming tide. This would have been a two-day journey. One historian, however, has controversially placed Dorstad at the current location of Adruik near the French coast. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. It's Adruik. Adruik? Ben's too woke to, to say, you know, <laughs> Kutwijk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's, what's hilarious about, you know, the, the, the geography of this movie is that they are all over the place. And Friesland, I mean, they were... They controlled part of mainland Holland, but, you know, they're in Cologne sometimes. They're in, I, I couldn't tell whether they were in Rems or whether they were in, there's like the French town of yeah. Rems. And then there's the, there's a town in Northern Germany called Reims where they flipped the I and E different town, but it wasn't the, the geography of the it. Famous the famous tunnel town of the, Reims. Well, the, the castle was not the one that you would see in Rems, but Rems isn't really like a major town in the. It's certainly not now. So, <laughs> so what? What I couldn't. There was no explanation. This of that. question of geography is great because one of the first PowerPoint temp title title cards to this film was saying that this territory is bisected by this river, the River Rhine. 
and above which we get the Frisians, who are the Redbit people, and below we get the Franks. But at no point is any of the war making happening around the river. There's no, there's no shots of the traversing of this river even. It's only, it's only like the beach area where they're floating red bat out into the ocean or it's in these townships where these skirmishes are happening. Well, like Ben was saying, Dorstadt is on the Rhine, a, a tributary of the Rhine. Utrecht is. Um, the Rhine was the big, was the, was the prize. That was how all trade, inland trade was happening. I just watched this movie. Where is the Rhine in the movie it's outside really of not. the title? You're absolutely right. Where is it? There's that one part where their uh, their buddies show up in the boats and uh, come around behind the the Franks. Oh yeah. But it seems it seems weird that they would need Danes to help them with that. Well, the Frieslanders and the Danes, I guess, are closer in barbarianism. <laughs> but you, but you know the Franks. I, that was another geographical thing. Like the Franks are. The, the Rhine goes north-south for most of its run, and then it turns left and goes east-west. So it's not really that they were separated north-south by the Rhine, because the Franks are also to the right of the Rhine. It could kind of come, just sort of come in there past the Bishopric of Munster. I mean, mm. I don't know exactly how all the Franks were traveling, but it. But I, I felt that that was confusing, too, like above the Rhine and below the Rhine. It's like, well, yeah, or... They could kind of just swoop in. Ah, uh, beats me. That scene with the high tide, where they were on their horses and the Franks were behind the them. The Franks are dumb, right? They're like three hundred yards behind them, though, right? I mean, it's not like they're a day behind them. They're they're in earshot of one another. Yeah. And he leads them out into the surf, where the water is like ankle deep on a horse, and then he he hangs a right. Oh, rides man. to shore. That scene was so fucking painful. Like with the guys like falling over and drowning in six inches. Yeah, of like make it look like you're drowning in this Help gutter. Help me! I can't swim! He says with all this like all this gravity, like it's high tide, and you can tell it's meant to evoke the witch, who's also his mother. Is that his stick around in this movie? Is that Red Bad's <laughs> predator line? Stick around. It's yeah, high tide. It, it sort of is. Like he he knows when the eclipse is coming. Yeah. But he doesn't really exploit it. He doesn't make himself look magic. He's just like, they're going to freak out independent of whether I knew this was here or not. And then this whole lead them into high. And then high tide comes in in the space of three and a half minutes or not even 35 seconds. It goes from low tide to. Like high tide is a tidal wave. Tide like a, is dangerous when you're stuck in the mud, but there is no portrayal of of a muddy horse slog. Like the horses are riding on top of the sandy beach. <coughs> it might have been a boar tide, but that wasn't explained either. It I don't know what a boar tide is. What is that? Is that like the opposite of lighting a bunch of pigs on fire and running <laughs> them through the town? <laughs> that also pretty cool. That was amazing. I think, does that have some historic precedent? Is that a thing that in medieval times they did? Like, let's let let's light fifteen pigs they on sure fire. They sure worked a lot better than the balls on fire, which came to a slow rest, <laughs> like next to people, and then those people yeah. next to the fi- balls on fire were just incidentally lit on fire yeah. because they were too dumb to move. <laughs> the pig technology was a lot better than the ball technology. So, what a boar tide is is if you have really high high tides, you can get a situation where the tide is going out 
in a in like a river or an inlet, and the new tide comes in so fast that it actually comes in as a as a wave, hmm. like as a. But it requires a long. I, it's conceivable that 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 could happen in a in like a tidal river, like an estuary. But that isn't where this is shot. It's shot on like a beach coast. It was at Dunkirk. It was. It basically was at like a hundred hundred miles north. Yeah. I thought a lot about that after uh, all of our Dunkirk movies and and the key, like the fact that this is all kind of taking place right around the same part of the world, just hundreds of years earlier. A lot of blood in that it, soil, huh? Yeah. Interesting to, you know, dial the clock back and see what was going on on the same spot. So I've walked that beach from Hoek van Holland all the way to Amsterdam. Along you were able that to coast. avoid the uh, the tide coming in, though. Luckily? No, in fact, in fact, one time I thought it would be. It, I thought it was. I was having a great day. I knew I had like three or four days to get to Amsterdam. I was sleeping on the beach, and at one point I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna walk in the surf. I'm just gonna like get over there and just. There's nobody around, you know. I'm just gonna like, and so I waded out to sort of ankle deep, walked for an hour or whatever, just kind of kicking waves. And then when I got back up on shore, I realized that my leather hiking boots in the seawater had become stiff waterlogged cheese graters, which immediately cheese grated my, my like waterlogged feet. And basically I was bleeding in my boots for two weeks after that. Oof. So just like these people, I have suffered desecration on that coast. But but what's interesting about it? <laughs> Your blood is there too. Yeah, it is. What's interesting about it now is that that was that whole area was part of the the Atlantic seawall that the Nazis built. So you walk along it now, and there's uh, pillboxes and bunkers. The entire you know kind of back in the dunes, the wow. entire length of the of that coast, and you know people in there smoking pot and writing death metal graffiti working patchouli oil into their hair to make dreads <laughs> i imagine a lot of those pillboxes were digitally removed oh right and laugh all you like about the quality of the effects i thought they were ha 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 fairly strong for the 10 million dollars of this film's budget oh it was a cheaply made movie i i don't know how you make this for 10 million dollars this is amazing but why would you, if you cannot make convincing flames, why would you have immolation be such a strong theme throughout the movie? People are caught catching on fire all the time. Yeah, it's weird, right? Like, just just don't do that. Have them die another way. <laughs> Especially when at the end of the film with the fireballs, those people were actually on fire. Yeah, things were set on fire in the film, like that church was actually burned. Yeah. But people were, every time, every time their dreads, like the only reason swinging. to make that scene in effect is to not cut away from it from the moment that you have your actor in position to when the flames start but we've cut away before cutting back so there's no need for the effect you could use a stunt person there the great scene where some danes were invading the other danes the great danes by sea right the great danes were invading the lesser danes mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're fighting on the beach and there's like a there's a digitally rendered micro fleet of what between eight and 
four boats out there. And all of a sudden, they're these catapulting flame balls. And yeah. they, and they that scene went on for five minutes, and we were never shown where they were coming from. Yeah. And I'm the whole time I'm like, and there are digital boats on fire. They do get around to it eventually, but for a long time, it's like, what are, do they have like artillery emplacements up there on the hill? Yeah, and eventually we see it's like a trebuchet of some kind. But the the second you're going to put a digital flame ball into a film, I want to see where the flame ball's coming from, right? That just felt yeah. like an editing, like a weird editing choice. In so many ways, in so many scenes, this film felt more about like, can I do the thing and show it well versus how is this scene motivated and why is this actually happening? Yep. I have no idea who those Danes were that were attacking and got beat back. Like, if you're watching this film, if Roel René is like, I want to direct this next film, and he submits this into the record as like an example of his ability to create, I find it fairly compelling. That he did this with 10 million bucks. Yeah. What if he had 80 million bucks? That's a great question. I'm sure a producer is asking that right now. There is not a lot out there about this film, I found, like yeah. research-wise. Well, it's new, right? It just came out last year. 2018, yeah. And bad, so like, why spend the time? <laughs> why are we doing this podcast? Because the podcast is good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it's, the thing. It's read good. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talking about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm Renee Colbert. I'm Alexis Preston. And we're the hosts of the smash hit podcast, Can I Pet Your Dog? Now, Alexis. Yes. We got big news. Uh Uh-oh. Since last we did a promo, our dogs have become famous. World famous. World, like, stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Second big news. Mm -hmm. The reviews are in. Mm Mm-hmm. Take yourself to Apple Podcasts. You know what you're going to hear? We're happy. It's true. We're a delight. A great distraction from the world. I like that part a lot. So if that's what you guys are looking for, mm-hmm. you got to check out our show. But what else can they expect? We've got dog tech, dog news, celebrities with their dogs, all dog things. All the dog things. So if that interests you, well, get yourself on over to Maximum Fun every Tuesday. I wanted to talk about the co-educational warfighting that the red bads did versus the all male uh, armies that the Franks brought to the table. It's part of the do what you want dictum. Is there evidence for that? I think that the, that the Vikings and the quote unquote barbarians were, yeah, a lot more, uh, what, what would you say? Like there was a, there was a baked in kind of matriarchal or like matrilinical, whatever there was, there was more equality. Hmm. I mean, you, your big bearded guy is always going to be the chief just because he he bonks heads until he gets there. Yeah, but I, I think it was Mao that said political power grows from a bonked head. 
I think it was Mao that said, oh, if you were here, I'd bonk your head. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think barbarianism was, that's, what, that's another reason it was such a threat to first the Romans and then the Christians was it was, they didn't have all the signs of civilization like subjugation of women and metal helmets. I mean, they were sacrificing women. Well, sure, but if you notice, when uh, when Redbad tried to pull his girlfriend out of the line and say, "No, not you," she was like, "I want this. I want you know, I want to yeah. burn alive. It brings honor to my family." So I think throughout Europe, every peoples has a legendary character in their past that fills the role of red bad for the Frisians and by extension for the Dutch, uh, a character that, that they turn to during their weird festival in the spring, uh, <laughs> that is like one of the founders of their, of their race that, you know, is outside of the context of their European nationhood. The, right. You know, the Hungarians have one, the Slovaks have one, and it's always somebody that's faded into the mists of time, but that you resort to when you think of yourself as independent of of these borders that were drawn, you know, successively. And I don't know whether every nation is going to cobble together ten million bucks to make a film about like Kinesi or uh, or. SpongeBob or whatever, uh, Strong Bad. <laughs> I mean, you don't really need ten million dollars to tell the story of somebody checking our email. <laughs> <laughs> but especially like the Vikings and the uh, the people of the North that survived for so long and and did manage to conquer so much of the world, or at least leave a bunch of rune stones lying around. Yeah. Um. You know, the people of Norway and Sweden are still hiking out of town to some cave where they're they maybe not burning their their virgin women but burning their virgin cats or whatever they're doing out there to keep the tradition alive playing death metal on the wikipedia article about redbed there are two drawings of redbed one of which he looks kind of like steve buscemi Slash Sylvester Stallone. It's a hell of a combination. And the other is like is like a nine year old tried to draw a very like sophisticated pencil drawing of a king. He does look like Sylvester Stallone. That's a that's that's very good. That's quite a crown on him too. It's an old old picture, so maybe more plausibly what he you know, closer to how he how he would actually present himself than the than the like metal festival attendee look that he has in the right in the film yeah this guy looks like he could get a square job yeah he doesn't look like the singer of <laughs> witch taint <laughs> this is very cavalt no it's, it's pronounced cult well you know interestingly charles martell who is the super baddie in this movie the bad guy i just found out the other day that baddie is now slang for like hot girl on instagram Really? And so our traditional usage of it as like a bad oh, guy. Like she bad. Yeah, she's baddie. And so I'm like, oh yeah, that guy's a baddie. And all there are a bunch of people on the internet that were like, snicker, snicker, snicker. <laughs> he means hot girl, lol. Oh yeah. Please tell us what we mean. Raffle. 
Well, it's an it's an issue of artist's intent, Adam. Yeah, you know, we say baddie, and people can interpret it in any number of ways. But Charles Martel was the grandfather of Charlemagne. His little line, yeah, um, ends up producing like the great barbarian drowner of all time. Um, He's not even the worst. No, I the mean the worst is yet to come. <laughs> the big baddie is on the horizon, and wow. I'm not here to slander Charlemagne. I know there are a lot of people that are like, "Whoa, he's my guy," but yeah, we should really both sides Charlemagne. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need to do. But you know, Charles Martel is like, "Point a spear at that baby," but Charlemagne would have just drowned him in a in an estuary with ten thousand other people that wouldn't convert. There is that interesting moment where Martel is talking to Redbad. I think it's in, when Redbad is in the in the dungeon, and Martel's like, "You and I are alike. We don't believe any of this bullshit. We're just motivated by power." Right, and Redbad's like, "I don't know what I believe. I don't want to be the king. Maybe I do. Maybe I should. Maybe the I shouldn't." Bad guys always do this. They say they don't really believe what they think in a moment like this, and then as they're losing, they're like, "We could have had it all, man. You and me." <laughs> like as they're getting stabbed through yeah. the chest. Together we would rule the universe, father and son. When that deal son. was never on the table. No, right. He never suggested once, like, come over to the dark side. Yeah. Use God. your anger. In a film that showed pigs on fire and horse legs being chopped off. And how, girl, girls burned alive. Girls yeah. being burned alive. How sure were you that something fucked up was going to happen to that baby in the jail scene? I, I was like gritting my teeth at the idea of seeing something awful there that never came. None of us like to see a baby injured. That's no. one of the core principles of this show. Right. But the baby escapes unharmed and becomes king of the Frisians at some point. The baby point. gets thrown from a horse in its bassinet to be caught by Freya in midair. I thought it hit the ground and then she like turns it over and the baby's fine. I'm I'm punching it up. No, I think, I think she grabbed it and, and returned it, returned that kickoff uh, for <laughs> 25 yards. <Yeah. laughs> she wasn't going to down the baby in the end zone. She's bringing it out. Freya is, I think... I think Ben started to begin this part of the conversation, but like the pseudo equality of the sexes in the film, Freya uh, is subservient to her father, the king of her village. But at the same time, like I feel like her interest in red bad is understood and granted by her father. Like this under other circumstances might be a forced marriage, but her dad seems kind of cool. And he sees, like, what's going on. And he's like, you know, Red Bad, you're a pretty cool guy. And I can see what's happening here in front of me. Why don't you hook up? It was it was the scene right before that when the when the mysterious Greater Danes were attacking the beach. Yeah. And Red Bad and Freya are both fighting them, like, sword fighting them back hardcore. And, yeah. they, and they touch backs and turn yeah. around and give, like, a give like a diehard smile. Like, yeah. what's up? Yeah. <laughs> And it was so corny, yeah. The just the every everything about it that at that moment you were like, well, of course she's gonna, she's gonna pick him. As performances and as charismatic figures, I found Freya as charismatic, if not more charismatic than Red Bad himself. I thought she was so interesting, and like she had like kind of twinkly eyes, like she sort of was in on the joke. It felt like. She had this split alignment, right? Like the the Franks that are invading everywhere are the same religion as her. How could no one know she's 
Christian though? Like, does she sneak off to church? Yeah. Here's the, here's the ultimate question of this movie. When did Freya become a Christian? Yeah. She's living in a village with her father and the other Danes who are all just like steadfast, virgin burning barbarians. And she's got that cross. How did that did did she do like a a, a year away well, she had during kind of college? a rebellious period in high school? Yeah, exactly. She was <laughs> uh, off and got baptized. Other villagers are like, God, it fucking sucks. Freya never works every seventh day. <laughs> kind of pisses us off. We're out here <laughs> chopping wood and cooking food. Give me a break, Freya. She got a fake ID because, like back then, you couldn't convert. Uh, until you were 18, but uh, she got a fake ID and went down to an unscrupulous church at the mall. But in, in a movie that's three hours long, when one of your main characters is inexplicably uh, Christian, give us like the four minutes uh, that it would take to explain how that happened. Inexplicably Christian is uh, the name of a book I would read. <laughs> it's one of the best Night Ranger songs. <laughs> That's the best part of Boogie Nights. Inexplicably Christian, all your time has come. <laughs> really rolls a, off the tongue. That's a joke right over Ben's head. He's like, don't know what you guys are talking that about. That song came out when I was born. Must be some white people shit. <laughs> With a new Frisian leader in place, maybe this was a turning point. Talk about white people shit. This movie is some white people shit. This is the whitest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Well, you know what was interesting to me? I've been to the Netherlands a lot, and I and everyone in uh, in the Netherlands speaks better English than I do. Yeah, and their explanation for it is like, well, when an American TV show or movie uh, gets broadcast in France, there are enough French that it's cost effective to just dub it into French, but there are so few Dutch people that we just watch it with subtitles. It's a lot cheaper to do subtitles. And so growing up, they all had American TV and American movies, and they just watched it subtitled. And that's, that's their like shorthand explanation for why they're all so much better at English than anybody else. But right. watching this movie with English subtitles for about half of it. So half of the movie is in English because the filmmakers chose to use English as a stand-in for German and Danish. But Frisian sounds so much like German. But also so much like English. I mean, yeah. watching, yeah. you really see the connection between, because, you know, English is a Germanic language, but when you when you see German side by side with English, it's not, there aren't so many cognates. But God, there were times when it just seemed like they were, they were. Yeah, they were like putting subtitles on sentences that were totally understandable, despite the fact that they were nominally in a different language. You know, and I think if I was sitting around in some uh, some like hash cafe in the Netherlands, I wouldn't pick up on that because you just you don't have the subtitles. Yeah, but, well, you've also just smoked a joint the size of a carrot. No. Well, and I was focusing on that that Pink Floyd live concert <laughs> uh, on the TV and not really listening to my friends. Were you but. focused at all on buying new boots, or were you committed to the idea of your salt boots? <laughs> I was I was such an idiot. I, I stuck with the boots. I was like, these are my boots. And I, and the and the pain in my feet is pain I deserve. You were... <laughs> like, you knew enough about war at that time in your life to know that battles are won and lost on their feet. Yeah, you were I setting knew. yourself up. I was. I should have thrown those boots in, boots in the, in the Amstel, and I should have bought some 
Nike lava domes and just <laughs> just tiptoed across Europe. But instead, I was like, these cinder blocks tied to my feet with leather straps are how that's I'm going to do That's what you this. deserve. That's what yeah. you thought you deserved. A hair shirt. I'm all about the hair shirt. You didn't deserve that, John. Thank you. I, I know that now. Actually, I don't. I'm still convinced I deserve punishment. I'm looking down at your salt boots, and I'm like, you haven't learned a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like this film, like one of the knocks against the film was that it was anti-Christian, hard, but I don't believe it to be the case. Do you? No, Freya was making a pretty eloquent case for Christianity when she yeah. was locked in the in the like uh, Dumbo cage with with her mirror image yeah i mean she was she was really kind of making an impassioned defense of the of the story of jesus if anything i feel like the film is anti-power and anti-concentration of power yeah like if 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 in the scene where red bad like rejects his uh his baptism she'd like heard heard him out on on his reasons for why and like ripped the crucifix off her neck like that, like the movie would have taken a very definitive turn that it never really does. Like, yeah, it, I I was fascinated by how much like religion was motivating the characters, but the movie was not making one religion the religion of bad people and one the religion of good people. Like the the thing that they are defending the the way of life in which virgins are sacrificed is not it is not something that's easy to defend that's not the good side <laughs> yeah well and also it's it is it's a movie against top-down administration but also the franks have castles made of stone and the uh red bads have long houses the the franks are civilization the the inevitable march of paved roads and flush toilets right and the freezing set up is like like the inheritors of the Roman project of trying to make Europe one big country. Right. And Christianity somehow is the motivator of that. Like the, the desire to pacify the locals and baptize them and get them in line as the Christian project, you know, it brings all this other, all this police state stuff. Yeah. But, But also it's not, you know, the red bads aren't, aren't really portrayed as living an idyllic life. You know, there's there, there's mud on the floor. And they're like starving, right? They're starving at the beginning yeah, of the Yeah, starving and the and the and they haven't yet figured out how to make a grass roof that doesn't leak. It's kind of a waste of a couple of virgins if you're starving, right? Like why not just eat them? Oh, wow, eat the virgins. Interesting. If you're that hungry. Interesting. Sure fatten them up is what you would oh, say yeah. for a You'd for have a to season. Do that. I guess like are the, the, the 15- are the Franks so rich they they can afford enough pigs to just light them on fire like that? It felt like the pigs were local pigs. Really? Oh, right? those were defense pigs. Those weren't Frank pigs. I feel like those were local pigs that the Franks were like light the pigs on fire too. I think a pig on fire doesn't have a side. I think that's a chaos agent. Right, right. You're absolutely right. You couldn't be more right. You're, you're not going to direct. I've a pig never on been fire. more right on this show. Go than that, that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah chaos agent be careful the pig you light on fire right he, he tolls for thee <laughs> it's like in the submarine film when you shoot the torpedo and it comes back around and gets you how many of those pigs came back the pigs came back to roost i bet more than once the pigs came back yeah the pigs came back to roost the pigs came back 
<laughs> pigs came back to roost. That was a the freaks come out reference for uh-huh. those of you who are not schooled in early hip hop. Ah. I'm sure Rob's going to put the needle down <laughs> on that track. <laughs> Cutting it up on the ones and twos. DJ Rob's 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 Rob's. Uh, let's talk about the religious uh, figures in the movie. We've got the bishop guy and his son. Is Bonifacius the son of the bishop? I think the my father and my son business was just some like... Oh, is that that's professional? Yeah, mm. that's Christian talking. That's I, friar talk. Yeah, friar talk. Oh, mm. yeah, friar talk. Oof. Oh, I'm feeling sharp today. <laughs> Oof. This is a good Adam show. It's because I came to your house. Yep. I'm not doing great because I'm super jet lagged, but uh, Adam's carrying more than enough weight for both of us. You're Africa jet lagged. When there was one set of footsteps in the beach in Red Bad, that was me carrying you, Ben. Aww. <laughs> so you're Jesus, is that? <laughs> and uh, the reason there's only one set of footsteps is because John hasn't showed up yet. Yeah, I'm on my way. Uh-huh. I got held up. <laughs> John's in the water with the salty boots. <laughs> there were an awful lot of, of uh, beautiful scenes particularly in the baptism era, but also lots of other scenes where Red Bad was portrayed as Jesus, uh, clad in white, backlit, standing in water, arms outstretched. Looking like he could see you no matter where you were standing in the room. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) His eyes followed you. Yeah. Uh, But I never understood fully. I don't think he was the Jesus of his people. I didn't understand what it's, uh, what the filmmakers were trying to do uh, in terms of metaphor other than just like, Jesus you know, Christ, I would totally, you know, the film paper that we're trying to write here is missing a page that this film doesn't write, which is uh, if Red Bad had literally forgiven his village for putting him on a raft and floating him out to die, <laughs> I could get with that. But nothing is mentioned after... Red Bad reunites with those people like it's and there was a moment there where I feel like that could be communicated in such a way to to add to the thesis that you're talking about of that kind of Christian forgiveness. We see so many scenes in the movie where uh, fate and coincidence and happenstance are are taken as signs or portents and that one seems like a major one that they could have played up a little bit more. Like Red Bad is back and Tony's got him. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like Red Bad returning, there is one moment where somebody says, wait a minute, weren't you sacrificed? Yeah. And he, or no, he says it. They were like, oh, Red Bad was banished. And he was like, wait a minute, I was sacrificed. And someone else says, yeah, but why aren't you dead then? But that could have, that could have been, I mean, he could have used that. I guess he didn't use it because he didn't want to be king the whole time. I love how Ibert's like, well, I guess we got to kill him again. And everyone's like, just chill the fuck out, Ibert. Like, <laughs> we tried that once already. <laughs> Talk about a rat fuck. That Ibert character playing both sides. What a piece of shit. He, he should have killed Redbad when he had the chance. When did he have the chance? In that moment when Red Bad showed back up and, and he was shouted down for his interest in re-killing him. As soon as he was made to allow Red Bad to live, like, 
It was over for him. He should have taken him up on the castle wall and made him dance along the edge, yeah. singing his little childhood song, and then that's how it goes in those days. Except they didn't have any castles. No, no, you're gonna you're gonna live from a fall off of a longhouse. <laughs> I was also surprised that Redbad didn't ever take an opportunity to kill him, though. Yeah, like there's that moment, and then like the in the baptism scene when when Redbad gets tossed a sword, the bishop like disappears from that scene when it turns into a fight. Like, he should be the first one whose head gets chopped off, but he he's like, yeah. he's just not there anymore. Universal respect for monks, I guess. Yeah. Like, Redbad never kills anyone who isn't a combatant in a way that I found impressive. Like, he could have solved a lot of problems for himself by, like, strategically killing his uncle and that, and the bishop, but... And it's not like there are any battlefield rules. Like, they're killing horses. Right. I think anyone who's on the chessboard is fair game. It's weird. Honorable, but weird. You want to stretch the taffy of the story, though, for the full three hours. Well, and also, if you're if you're building a foundation myth for the independence of your people, you don't want your hero to be impaling babies on stakes. He's got to have some. You got to have some kind of thing where you walk away feeling like he was the one untarnished. You got to save something for the sequel. He's the Jesus. Yeah. He's the Frisian Jesus, but. But that case was not, that wasn't made very eloquently. Is Freezes what Kanye West calls himself? (laughs) Freezes. (laughs) No? I'm I'm trying here, Ben. I'm trying to. I guess. That was a Ben joke. (laughs) That's that's, that's why I did it. (laughs) Can't get no respect. Ben's down in LA eating his rap snacks, chiming in every once in a while. Reading his little red book. <laughs> Working on his Mao material. Mm. Yeah. When I click on this movie on the streaming platform, it recommends 75 movies that have exactly the same like typeface and color scheme about like Vikings and Knights Templars and all Beowulf and all that crap. Like uh, there's there there seems to be you're the cool just, high school teacher Ben. <laughs> there seems to be like sixty million dollars every year that get split up to make like a handful of movies like this, and just like reusing the same props over and over and over again. Yeah, I want to know more about like you look at the credits for this film, and it was financed by twelve different companies. The way that many of these films are. Yeah. And I want to know more about how that works. You're right, Ben. I think there's something to this. I mean, this is basically a white people foundation story. I mean, within the white supremacist universe, this is the type of thing that gives them the hardest boner of all, which is them before they were touched even by the Romans, before (laughs) before the dirty French got their hands on them, when they were free to ride their machines without being hassled by the man and and there is there's a whole there's a whole subset of the of the world that just wants to watch movies where everybody's blonde i'm i just never saw it that way but i'm sure that's a big big part of the culture surrounding movies like this i mean uh, basically the only people with dark hair are they're all bad guys there's right. not a single uh. dark-haired person in the red baths. Yeah, but like the bad lady is dark-haired. Yep. 
all of the major bad guys are dark haired. Even all the soldiers on the on the Frankish side have like I mean you don't see their hair, but the ones that have beards have dark beards. They're, ger- they're and those are Germans. They're just right. dark Germans. Germans that that have touched the Danube. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't have done that. I think there's a good way to lionize the Vikings and not have it necessarily be about. I want to be clear, like this is not made with intentionality to serve a specific audience. No, but what Ben is saying is true. There is a subset of movies, you know, like if there was money for it, there would be a subset of movies that insisted that the pyramids were built by like sub-Saharan Africans, right? There's, there are these there are these myths of of our cultural past that are meant to resonate with a smaller and more targeted crowd and this is one that you don't have to go very very deep into it to see that it's going to be popular with people from Copenhagen less so than people from Milan because it sings a certain song a runic song a song oh speaking of songs I hate to interrupt myself. No, you don't. <laughs> hey, speaking of runes, you think that uh, you think that priestess had any other runes in that thing? Because we only see the one. The 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 little arrow that says you're the you're fucked. You're fucked. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part. Like a magician always shows you that the knife is real and that the spoon is hard and like like I want to see all of the runes inside the bag before I go reaching into the bag. She never holds up the bad rune and is like, yeah. Here it is. And then Watch like out for does this. the shake a shake a shake a yeah, shake. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when the bag goes around at first among the virgins, you're thinking it's a short straw, long straw deal. Yeah. yeah. She's not a great show person. She does not have a flair for the dramatic. Yeah. But what I wanted to say about the music is there's another thing that all these movies have in common, which is the enyification of of the music of pre-Christian peoples, right? As soon as you see the swords and the beards, you know you're going to get that. This film needed a heavy-duty dose of Basil Polidorus. Less Enya, more Basil. (laughs) Yeah. But I can't stand that stuff. Like, in in Gladiator, it is used to great effect. And and it's to such great effect that every subsequent movie that wants to conjure that yeah uh that just they roll that enya out it's not even good it's not even enya it's like some they gave somebody 1500 bucks and said do an enya thing it's fenya right rob please leave that silence in (laughs) (coughs) would it have helped to have a a score that wasn't so grating what was the music that the people of Northern Europe, I mean, was it just like, huh, junk, huh, junk, huh? What, what did they do? I don't know if that they That would have been fun. There were those monks that's, that sang hymns occasionally when, uh, when the one guy asked them to. Right, there was some Gregorian chanting. Mm. But yeah, Didn't what was- very the, good at it. What was the music of the, of the Norsk? Lutes? Flutes? Seems plausible that they would have drums and, and flutes. Why not go in that direction? Well, you know what it is? It's the it's mistaking Celts for Germans. Like that Enya stuff is sort of Celtic sounding. And these aren't Celts. 
everybody loves a Celt. <laughs> they, they're big in runes. They got runes. They got kilts, even though they didn't. The thing about Roel René is that he was also on camera for this film, and he also has like a bunch of professional specialties, one of which is music. So I imagine he had his hand in every single production pie for the entire film, when all he really needed, I think, was was some collaborators to talk him out of some of this stuff. If, you, if you're making every decision, I think this is the film that you end up making. I, I, I don't think they could afford to hire anybody else because yeah. of the budget. Yeah. There was a moment where something bad happened. Somebody got thrown into a well or whatever, and there was a sound effect like, boom. <laughs> and there was so much verb on it that it tra- the trail of that boom carried all the way into the next scene until people were dialoguing. You could still hear this like, whoa, 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 whoa. I cannot believe that you did not watch this movie on your phone in a bathtub. And I know that you didn't because of how you just described that moment. <laughs> you watched it on a proper TV. No, it was on a laptop, but I had it cranked. Uh-huh. Boom. Also, I got real good hi-fi on my... On my MacBook. It was an upgrade. Nice. Extra RAM, extra. Look at you Bose using speakers. Using modern computing. <laughs> extra Bose speakers. Was it like the trim package on a Miata? <laughs> it was. It also it also has ground effects. <laughs> but you know, I have to have someone else log me in. John's, like, John's plugging his laptop into the tape adapter cassette and then putting that into the Blaupunkt. <laughs> I, have a, I have a Nakamichi that actually ejects the tape, flips it over mechanically and nice. goes back in yeah. so I don't cool. get tape warble. You don't want to hear that. I don't know what that is. What was that a reference to? That's when you get to the end of the tape. It makes that beep. In what kind of medium? Are you talking about like the the childhood book on tape where you turn the page when when there's a beep? <laughs> no. End of a cassette tape. I'm sure Rob is going to drop it in here and we will be made to look like idiots. I listened to cassettes for many 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 years from their inception and I have never heard that sound. Huh. I'm only familiar with it in a book on tape context. There, there's a there's a beat on Latirix's self-titled album that is made out of a sample of that sound. That's how much a sound it is. Wow. For even Latirix to take yeah. it and wow. use it. Yeah, that's true. Latirix really, truly is like the puff daddy of, of book on tape sound effects. Well, what's funny is I love that track. I just didn't know what it was a reference to. Mm. Say that to say this. So at the end of the film... <laughs> red bad uh through and throughs the bad guys the people that we want to live have lived popo lives freya lives does she know freya lives yeah his other girlfriend doesn't and we're given uh we're given what we believe in the moment to be a happy ending but then through the use of title cards we are told uh about the sad ending for red bad his people and his story and what a gift we've been given in watching this film, that uh, his story has been resurrected and given to us. Well, what's crazy is that the Frisians have their own distinct language still, which is a Dutchish. It's Dutch, but 
many, many attempts have been made to eradicate it. And they still are a discreet people living in this archipelago of islands that are, that stretch through Germany, I think even up to Denmark. And they have a, they actually have an independence movement, not quite a like Basque level, but let Frisia remain free. It still rings out. And like they were, they're kind of catchy. Yeah. Their capital was Groningen for a long time. Mm. I think it's fucked up that they set off all those bombs in Bilbao, though. It's like, that, that, like, what does that even have to do with anything? Yeah, well, it's part of the uh, global revolutionary struggle, Ben. You would know if you had read to the end of your little <laughs> red book. That the, the, the people of Palestine are allied with the people oh, of yeah. Libya and... Saw that on a lot of uh, murals in Northern Ireland. <laughs> I know, I know. The IRA was actually giving weapons and training to... The Red Brigade yeah. and the, the... The Lend-Lease program that the IRA had <laughs> for the Friesians. I have not been to Friesia, but I've been Friesia adjacent. If you, can, if, you, if you count Groningen, which I love to say, like I've been up there and I know somebody who is... I have a friend who was just recently telling me that their people were from Friesia. And they said it with a certain amount of pride. And then they... Then they uh, they beat their sword against their breastplate <laughs> and went into Starbucks and got me a double tall Americano. So it's capitalism that won in the end. I mean, what a, <laughs> what have the Romans ever done for us? Aqueduct. <laughs> <laughs> Sanitation. <laughs> yeah, but aside from all that. <laughs> If there's a scene in the film that is the most important, it's that it's the baptism, right? Yeah, that's the turning point where he where everyone all of his people seem to be watching him about to be baptized and prepared to just surrender the game. Yeah. Right? All of these all these thugs and tribal leaders are like, "Okay, well this is it. If if Red Bad takes the cross. If you've invited the Frisians to the baptism of Redbad, and don't you have their to swords. check their fucking weapons yes, at the door? thank you. What are they doing? <laughs> Just like everybody come crowd in here, watch the big scene. Ridiculous. This is actually why they invented security. After this, yeah. they were like, maybe we should like come up with some You gotta some put procedures. the sword in a clear bag yeah, if you want right. to bring it inside. Put your wallet and your phone <laughs> in this little dish. Yeah. But this yeah. is this is it echoed so much that scene in Braveheart, yeah. like like about thirty percent of this movie did, except they did not draw and quarter him. They and didn't have an entrails him. budget in no. this film. They were just like, "Oh, you get away, scot free, red bad," and then slow motion sword toss. But like, I think there's power in red bad's interrogation here. Yep, power in the way that uh, Braveheart's entrails. Do not possess. This is one of the genius moves of the Mormon church, which was to allow you to retroactively baptize your dead ancestors. Um, and everybody else also. Right. So that you can have you can have everybody in heaven. Just imagine how surprised they'll be. Imagine me baptizing Red Bad and all of a sudden he comes out of purgatory and is just like, how did I get here? Well, I became a Mormon and I saw your movie. Red Bad looks at you like... What the fuck? (laughs) 
dude, you look way different from <laughs> the guy that played yeah. you in the film. You look like Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I think we can get to this during the review portion of the show, but I think if you can just get to that part in the film, I think there's something interesting being said. It's just a slog to get there. If you can just get to that moment. It, it really does take a lot of the threads that they've started and, and bring them close enough to each other that it seems like it makes some sense. It's obviously like shitty what's getting done to his people and his land, but... He himself doesn't seem to, like, care about anything or... He has that carriage about him that, like, there are some people that look really badass that are scary, but there's there's a doorman in Seattle to a rock club that, like, looks like the meanest guy that you would ever want to talk to, but is secretly, like, one of the nicest people in Seattle. Yeah. And that's Red Bad to me. He felt like <laughs> less of a threat because there was something gentle that he was projecting where like i felt i feel like braveheart was more of a badass than red bad because of it as threatening this goes like braveheart's fat face in comparison like the, this the the this guy looked like young lemmy <laughs> he looked like like kind of but cranky. Lemmy's, lemmy's way scarier than red bad but but from the moment he appeared on the screen i didn't like his face as a hero uh. right he seemed like a hero's tough but fair henchman yeah yeah, he seemed more like the after picture in the "Don't Ever Try Meth" commercial. He did, and and it's a weird choice as your as your hero to have somebody that looks so ragged. Given how many beautiful people there are in this movie, I mean, my counterpoint is Jonathan Banks, who is not a beautiful man by any measure. No, but everybody else looks like they're from Rivendell. Yeah, like they're all they're all elves, like high elves. There are a few wood elves. Most mm-hmm. of them are high elves, and I think I think I think Strong Bad is. They would a, is be a high elves elf. if they took a bath. I think. Yeah, that's right. If they were ba- if they were bathed, and some of those dreads got combed out. Like for people that stand around in the rain and don't make any attempt to like, you know, get under something or cover themselves, they're so dirty. Yeah, it's a dirty rain, just like up here in Seattle. Did the Romans invent aqueducts and umbrellas? Have <laughs> <laughs> to wait for that technology. Soap. These people bathed in the sea. Yeah. Or in the Rhine. That tide. It's like the whole raw denim thing. It was invented up there. You don't wash it. You just yeah, you wear it into swimming the ocean. swimming in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and then it chops up your legs, makes them bleed. I don't know. I'm reluctant to go into the ocean now after your story. Yeah, just don't wear your clothes. You deserve your legs to bleed, though. I do. <laughs> I think it's medium clear that I do not dislike the film as much as you guys in the course of talking about it. I think mostly because I kind of respect the swing that the director took. Like, say what you will about uh, this film's ability to tell its story. I at no point felt like they were not trying as hard as they could to tell it. This film looked extremely hard to make. There were hundreds of extras at any given time to wrangle and costumes for all of them and things to do for every one of them and animals and dirty sets and rain and all of the challenges that come with films that have budgets five times this one. Like, I respected the game. I really did. And, like, the thing that cuts against this film most is that it's 
it's more confident in its ability to tell its story than its source material itself. You know what I mean? Like if it's a film that truly believed its story was was great, then I don't think it would have needed the gloss that it has. It's fit and finished. Like it's it's like a Porsche that they don't take above 20 miles an hour. Like that story <laughs> is the engine and it just yeah. can't go very fast. Like this feels like a film that used every foot of coverage that they had in shooting it. Like if we only have $10 million, I want to use every frame of film that we shot, cram it in there and make it work. And it's that, and that's like the most urgent part of the film to me is like that the hand of the, of the filmmakers propelling it and giving it that sense of urgency that the story itself doesn't really need to have. And because every shot is composed so artfully and beautifully, it's like, you go to a new city and you want to go to some museums and by the time like hour four rolls around you're like you just can't enjoy a museum for an entire day at least i don't feel like i can you just it's true you stop seeing things and that's what happened to me in this film i got bored because it was like too beautifully made i couldn't get a sense of what was important and what wasn't and and it's such a weird thing to say. Like, it's such a weird criticism to make against a film that, that obviously has this amount of effort put into it, is kneecapped by its budget, and is, if you muted it, I think pretty well made. Pretty well made for what it is. It feels like a director trying to join a club or to, like, make the case for his career. And there's a moment in the film that I'm going to make the, the review which is like, there's one thing that a filmmaker can do that says, I'm in the club, guys. I'm in the club of people who knows things about films and who specifically knows things historically about films. And that is the implementation of a Wilhelm scream. <laughs> and there is a scene, I think it's halfway through the film, where there's yeah. like, they're running through the interior of the castle and Red Bad is slashing and kicking people off of walls. And it's the interior. And he slashes a guy and kicks him over the railing, and it is Wilhelm scream for the for the eight feet that he falls. I was like, Roel Renee, you fucking joined the club, man. Wilhelm scream. Like that is your that is your finger guns at Hollywood. Like I get it. What is a Wilhelm scream? I get the joke. What is it? When did it start, Ben? It started like way early in Hollywood. Yeah, Wilhelm is a character in like a I think like a nineteen thirties adventure movie. He did a very particular scream. Like, it's like, ah! it's, it's, it's uh, like that. It's crazy. You've heard a stormtrooper do it in original Star Wars. It's, it's, a, it's a sound that is used in sound design in tons and tons of films as just kind of like, it's kind of a running gag. So what, they actually take the Wilhelm scream and you just... You hear it all the time, even in modern films. Like, But it's so much more subtle in most films. It's in the context of many people screaming, and, oh. you'll, and you'll sort of detect it. John, it's the, it's the noise that Adam makes when you show up. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then he collects himself. Uh-huh. Yeah. And says, can I make you a coffee? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's joy, it's surprise, it's death in the context <laughs> of Red Bad. <laughs> And so from one to five Wilhelm screams will be the scale of excellence to this film. I just talked a lot about all the things that I liked about it. And so it's hard to just destroy it 
with a review. And so I'm not. I think I'm going to go right down the middle and give it a two and a half Wilhelm screams. I think there's just enough craftsmanship here to give it at least that. And if this film cared more about telling its story, the story that I think it wanted to tell, but for whatever reason just didn't, I think this would be uh, better reviewed. But as it is, two and a half for me. Boy, Adam, I just couldn't disagree with you more on the craftsmanship issue. I felt... I, I, I think that there are some accidentally well-composed shots, but generally speaking, it's a fucking mess in terms of composition. Did you ever think, love music videos back when like, they were art pieces? Like, were, were you ever into them the way I was? Maybe that's the difference. Like, I, Adam, I, my, the beginning of my career was as a music video director. <laughs> I've directed 25 music videos. And yet, wow. Weird. Yeah. I I think that there's, like, that level of stylization is appropriate for a music video, and it just doesn't hold my attention for a feature film. There are basic filmmaking mistakes all through this movie, and I, uh, I, I, I just hated every minute of watching it, so I'm giving it half of a Wilhelm scream. Oh my it's like, god! Kapow! It starts and wow. then just cuts off right in the middle. Just stops cold. Is that your lowest review? Has to be. I hated this. Is movie. that the lowest review any of us have ever given a film? Wow. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were as cranky as you obviously are. Is this jet lag, oh. Ben? If if we talk to you in a week, will you change your your review of it? Well, I'll never watch this movie again, so I don't know. Wow. I was I felt deep resentment of all of the time that I spent with this movie, and I'm glad that I never have to watch it again. Can you go into that a little bit more, Ben? Because that's an astonishing dislike of this movie. Wow. We talk about um, the geometry of battles a lot, and and how like the how film some filmmakers uh, are better than others at making you understand where people are relative to each other. This film doesn't even give a fuck about that. Like, I mean, the, the, the battle where they, uh, they ride off with, you know, distract the cavalry and, and make them drown in six inches of water is a perfect example of that. Like, the armies switch which side of the screen they're on a couple yeah. of times in that battle. It's true. That was not a highlight. It, it's just a mess. It's it's a mess. And and if you're uh, like making the case for yourself as a director, I'm here. I'm finger gunning Hollywood. You can't be crossing the line. You can't like you can cross the line, but it has to be has intentional and yeah. accomplishing some uh some something about putting the viewer uh you know at at ill ease intentionally, you know. That this movie sucks. It's a bad movie. That scene he's talking about, that battle, had five or six moments in it where it was like, what? <laughs> I don't know why I'm showing so much mercy for this. Wow. It, like, your your arguments are are compelling, and I agree with all of them, Ben. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, that's just my, that's just one man's opinion, one cranky man who, uh, you know, I think part of what's playing into this also is that my, uh, my, my flight back, I, I uh, was routed through Paris, and uh, we flew back a uh, 10-hour flight, Charles de Gaulle to LAX, with a row of people sitting behind us that looked like Frisians, smelled like Frisians, 
and uh, had no control over their multiple small children who wanted to like stand in the aisle right next to me and sing at me. And, uh, you know, I was just, I, I was just like, I hate these people. I hate Frisians. Yeah. Wow. John, how did you feel about this stupid movie? This movie that's so <laughs> bad that they put bad right in the name. <laughs> well, I can't disagree with anything either of you said. I understand what Adam is saying, but I, I'm not, I don't speak that vernacular. So, um, so a, a lot of the production stuff, the, the production stuff that stood out to me was just the stuff that looked bad. I didn't have really the, the language to, to see the stuff that looked good. I didn't like the, um, the flaming pigs or the flaming boats that were just like bad CGI. I didn't like the constant. Hold uh, on a second. Yeah. There's Those some pigs vac- weren't actually on fire? No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> <laughs> the geography of battle and geometry of it, as Ben said, were, were uh, impossible to follow. There was um, there was so much slow motion a- as a way of getting us into I don't know what what kind of mood, but it felt <laughs> like if you just made all that stuff normal speed, you would have taken forty minutes out of the movie. Um, you know, slow motion of people marching slow. And there was an awful lot of drama, like romance drama and other kind of just interpersonal drama that didn't move the plot forward. It was just in there just to be dramatic. And again, I didn't find him sympathetic, so I didn't really care whether he was in love or whether he was happy. But I guess the thing that really stood out to me is here we have a, st- a story of the Frisians, a people that are, it's a very small population of people that are sort of marginalized even within their own country who were fighting a sort of Pyrrhic battle against the incursion of Christianity in Northern Europe. Why do I want to know about this? What are you, what's the bigger story you're trying to tell? And that was never given a reason because they didn't appear to stand for something bigger. And so this is really took a cue from red bad. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But so in the Netherlands, this, this movie may be sort of like, um, like a dances with wolves or, or maybe one of the first sympathetic portraits of a people that are effectively the native Americans of, um, of Holland or of the Netherlands rather. So that within that culture, it's kind of a, um, upset where we're finally seeing the Frisians as not just a, whatever, a persecuted minority, not persecuted because of their ethnicity, but persecuted because of their, their insistence on independence. But boy, that doesn't, work as a movie for a general audience and as a movie for a general audience, it's just swords and sorcery and it isn't even swords and sorcery that makes you feel good about itself. But the, as Adam says, like the movie isn't completely unintelligible, like, like the tailor of Panama or one of those (laughs) movies from, from 2000 where the, where it's so badly edited that you want to go through the screen and kill people. Yeah. This is just, it's just poor. It's shabby, but it isn't 
like hatefully bad. But I can't go above. I, I mean, I'm vacillating between one and a half and two. And I think I'll settle on one and a half. Wow. I think we're going to see a lot more films like this get made as quality production technologies are more democratized and more easily able to be purchased because they are inexpensive. This is the bad EDM of movies. (laughs) This is the Fathom Events film that you see in a trailer before the movie that you want to actually see that says for one night only they're going to they're going to show this in a movie theater like this is the this is the invasion that's coming straight to video invasion the white supremacists are going to love it and it's coming to be seen as equal to what we find in movie theaters like it's coming to to dilute what we see in movie theaters like they're making films like this at a rate where it's going to be harder and harder to distinguish a film like this from something that is of real quality because you are unable to decipher whether or not there is a story here by virtue of its trailer because a trailer to a film like this is going to look a lot like a film trailer to something like that's actually good like I don't know like Dunkirk is a bad example but like Trailer to trailer, you're not going to be able to suss that out. And a lot of people are going to fall for this. Well, and this is, I, I'm surprised we haven't mentioned it before, but Battle of Inchon is yeah. similarly Cut like- from the same cloth. Located in a, in like a cultural reference. All shot on a Canon 7D and- Yeah, and, and, and meant for a very targeted audience of people that know the backstory and want to find a hero in some history where- it's hard to find a hero. And I think you're right, Adam, that this is going to impact our show a lot. It is. Because people who are making a, a film like this on on handicams are going to make war movies. You're using handicam, but like these are these are tools that give professional results. And in the wrong hands, you get a film like this. And I don't know you how... You hear that, Roel? I don't know how we firewall the show against a horde of these, which, I mean, Ben sent us a a link to a number of the recommended films on top of this. There's a thousand other films. Yeah, let's let's read off some of those. That are just like this. Some of those titles. Uh, We've got, this is just Ben doing a screen cap. We've got Beowulf and Grendel. What is that? Lay the Siege or something? Day, Day of the Siege. Day of the Siege. Arn, the Knight Templar, super like underwear model playing the role of Arn. There's a movie called Viking Berserker, Hell's Warrior, uh, Richard the Lionheart Rebellion, Vikingdom, The Last Warrior. You're right. Uh, this is, and they all would kind of have to go into our pool. They're able yeah. to get inside the wall, both of our show and of a movie theater. I feel like we should just start eliminating uh, movies from our list based on how bad the Photoshop on the on the poster is. <laughs> but I, I think we have a shorthand now. Is a movie Red Bad? Is it better than Red Bad? Is it worse than Red Bad? Uh, not a lot of movies that are worse than Red Bad. <laughs> our sample size is two now. It's Operation Chromite and it's this film. 
Yeah. Like, I'm willing to step on another landmine 20 shows from now to be reminded. I don't, I don't want to set up more rules against something like this, but, like, I think this is... I think it's interesting to interrogate, and I don't think that they're all going to be like this. They're certainly not all going to be three hours. Well, what's weird is that actual big, big budget Hollywood movies are kind of taking a cue from this. Yeah. Right. Mario Van Peebles directed uh, the USS Indianapolis, and there's an awful lot of shared DNA with this, and that movie had a big budget and big time stars. That movie had, at its core, a great story that was poorly told. Right. But there is a big story here, which is that incursion of Christianity and its its confrontation with with paganism, yeah, and its event and, and Christianity's eventual like domination of the northern tribes. Yeah, I mean it. It is genuinely fascinating that like it was spread at the tip of a sword, almost everywhere. Yeah, like these people then turned around and like took to the sea and and went to countries all over the world and did the same thing to other people. Yeah, right. The, they became among the most Christian. Yeah. Although my contention is that everyone in Northern Europe is still a freaking pagan in their in their own home. <laughs> you know, they're like they're pious Once in the church. The bedroom door closes. Yeah, and then they go out in their backyard and they're they're uh, they're sacrificing virgins. Yeah, they're killing rabbits drinking. and hanging and them. The up. neighborhood association will not let you cut down any trees that you want. That's right. <laughs> All right, Ben. Who's your guy? Um, in the scene where Redbed has been condemned to die by being strapped to a raft and shoved out into the ocean, uh, I couldn't tell if it was just like bad sound mix or like an errant subtitle, but a subtitle popped up on the screen when I couldn't hear anybody speaking and the subtitle is just, he's going into the sea. (laughs) So whoever said that, whether it was just the subtitle guy writing it somewhere, it was like the one thing that I really enjoyed in this movie. We're taught as a viewer how those tides work in that scene. Yeah. They come back later and kill some horses. Big tide. Horse killing tide, they call it. Couldn't get red bad, though. Nope. How about you, John? You have a guy? During the battle scene where the horse is drowned and where red bad came swinging back in. Uh, and like two days later. Yeah. There was this, there was a, it, we were in the midst of a crazy battle where if you believed the overhead shot, there was no way they weren't completely surrounded and engulfed by Franks because they had this, they had this spearhead moment. They went straight into the Frankish lines and both the, the wings of the the Frank's, you know, big setup could have just encircled them and did. And so it's a melee, right? They're just, everyone is fighting everybody. They are, um, they, they're just swinging wild. And Red Bad comes riding back in and, and oh, and the, the Red Bads are about to get massacred. He comes right. riding back in and he says, wall! Which is their big yell for their kind of shield defense. Everyone kind of turtles. Where they turtle, right. And and so he screams wall and instantly the two lines are separated by 20 feet of ground and they're both back <laughs> in line. The melee is over. Not only did the Red Bads all back up and 
raise their shields, but also the Franks backed up and let them do it and raised their shields. And now there's this corridor that Red Bad can ride down in between the two lines. And both sides are doing the like bang your shield and look scary. Roar! Roar! At each other. (laughs) And while my head was trying to grasp how the filmmakers could expect us to go along with that, the camera's panning down the line of Franks. And there's one extra who is really giving it the crazy eyes. He has taken the, his direction <laughs> and he is like Google eyed, like come at me, bro outside of a bar. Like I'm the scariest of the Franks. And he's so he's just going for it so hard. And I've seen that look on so many, uh, so many guys who are in a, like a bar fight that spilled into the street who are who are trying to look like the one not to mess with yeah uh and who and and invariably everybody knows that that guy is a is a puss and like immediately he gets (laughs) taken out at the knees but he's just making the like and i the most lethal guy in any one of those groups is the one who's betraying nothing no he shows nothing and his eyes are dead yeah and the, and the guy that's rolling his eyes around like he's having yeah. a, a conniption is just like, no, that's not the scariest guy. But I, but he was going for it so hard that that immediately I did not care about how awful the rest of this scene was. And I just wanted to know more about that guy. That's great. And where what he's bar at. he works the door at. Yeah, <laughs> what, where he's at in life right now. Like what, because you know, yeah, he works at a, he works at a club in Amsterdam. And he, he replied to this. His buddy went to the casting call with him and was like, you got to do those eyes. Yeah, They're yeah, going to yeah. love those yeah, eyes. Do the crazy <laughs> eyes. <laughs> He's my guy. Uh, my guy shows up in that Viking to Viking battle that they have maybe a quarter of the way through. Uh, when Red Bad is adopted by his new Viking people, he goes and, and, and wars with them on the coast. And there's a couple of Viking boats that come ashore. And one of the invading Vikings is this barrel-chested dude with an axe. And he gets yeah. absolutely pumped with like six arrows. Both Freya and Red Bad are like, to douche, to douche, to douche. And he's <laughs> arrows right in the chest. Right in the chest. And he takes his axe handle and just wipes the sticks from him. Yeah. Like the, the points are still in his body. He, he wipes them off. And like then clustered around his heart too. Yeah. And then takes another six steps forward, gets pumped with another dozen arrows and falls. And there's something about like <laughs> that <laughs> amount of stubbornness really spoke to me. <laughs> like he walked he walked through volley after volley and then had had it in his mind to like do a power move on his way to death. <laughs> I'll never forget that guy. Like in a three hour film, what do you remember? I'm going to remember that scene and that guy. That was a strong moment. Yeah, that's my guy. Tell me we're watching something better next week, Ben. Uh, Yeah. I I have to roll the virtual die here because I'm over at Adams and we don't have 200-sided die. Yeah. Uh, Well, we have 213 movies on the list. (laughs) World War II movies are back on the menu. Yep. Let's go lucky number 13. Lucky number 13 is, in fact, a World War II film. It's a 
43 submarine film directed by Archie Mayo. It's Crash Dive. Made during the war. Yeah. Crash Dive. Oh, that's a good poster. A submarine lieutenant and his commander fall in love with the same girl. Oh, no. Wait a minute. This is a familiar plot. Yeah. Tyrone Power. Oh, hello. Tyrone Power was my mom's uh, like movie crush actor when she was 10 years old. Wow. She loved movies with Tyrone Power. It sounds like a porn name. Yeah, it sure does. It does. Boy, the uh, the early movie poster in 1943, very different from the reimagined DVD box cover art that you get later on. I love the one from 43. I hate the one from... Yeah, get that out of there. It's trash. So my mom would have been 10 years old when this movie came out, and my dad would have been in the war by this point. Well, that will be next week on Friendly Fire. Looking forward to it. Fun. Getting back to our roots. Submarine yeah. film. Yeah. You know this isn't going to suck. <laughs> this is going to be one of those movies where you guys are talking about how did they get the foreground lighting and the background lighting to be so perfect? Yeah. Back to what we do best. Because people knew how to make movies. All right. Well, we'll leave it with Rob from here. I'm uh, glad... I'm glad we uh, are done with this stupid movie. Wow. For John Roderick and Adam Pranica, I've been Ben Harrison. To the victor, go the spoiler alerts. Friendly Fire is a maximum fun podcast. Hosted by Ben Harrison, Adam Pranica, and John Roderick. It's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our logo artist by Nick Dittmore, and our theme music is War by Edwin Starr, courtesy of Stone Agate Music. Feel like helping out the show? Well, then head on over to MaximumFun.org donate to show your support. You can also leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're using Twitter, make sure to use the hashtag FriendlyFire. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, John is at John Roderick, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, we'll see you next week. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.